You're listening to the Carterville Church Life Podcast. I love our church family, and I hope that you do too. Our goal is that the episodes of this podcast would keep us connected and focused while we're scattered for our week on missions together. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear today. Hey, church family, welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad to have you today. This is Holy Week. We are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus for us, and we're going to continue our reading from Matthew chapter 27. Where we left off, Jesus has just died, and today we're going to talk about the tomb in which he was laid. So let's read Matthew chapter 27. I'll start with verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. From this first reading about the tomb, we see a couple of details. The first is we meet this disciple named Joseph, a man from Arimathea. So we know that Joseph is a wealthy man. He has a tomb that he's prepared for himself, and he wants Jesus to be given a proper burial. So this disciple goes to Pilate, and Pilate grants permission that Jesus can be taken off the cross so that he can be buried uh, before Passover, and Joseph would have completed his mission. A couple of things we see here. Number one, Pilate granted this request probably because Pilate continued to look for ways um, to be innocent of what he's done. You know, Pilate, I think, throughout the gospel has shown evidence that he didn't think Jesus was guilty, and so he grants this request. Obviously, he does not want to insult the body of Jesus any more than has already been done in the crucifixion. So he grants this request that Jesus can be taken down and put in the care of this disciple. The thing that I think is amazing is that Joseph of Arimathea uh, was very comfortable being seen in front of the chief priest and the high priest and the elders and the Sanhedrin as a man who was comfortable being affiliated with Jesus. Now, not not only that, but he was a man who was willing to be defiled. He wouldn't be able to take Passover the next day, which I think in the grand scheme of salvation history was totally worth it. But in the other gospel narratives, we understand that some of the Jews, especially some of the leaders, they didn't even want to go into Pilate's household because they wanted to be clean for Passover. They would have never believed that it was actually the death of this man that would have defiled them, which actually made them clean from the inside out. So people would not have wanted to touch Jesus' body for fear of being defiled, but Joseph of Arimathea recognized that it was worth it to show him respect. So Joseph was a disciple. Now, in John's gospel, we see that Joseph was not alone. In John's gospel, Joseph goes to the tomb not alone, but with Nicodemus. And so you get to see in John's gospel the conversion of a religious leader, a teacher of the Jews, who was unafraid to be seen with the body of Jesus and also unconcerned about being defiled by touching the dead body of Jesus. So these two men went to care for Christ and he was laid in a tomb. We see in verse 61 that Joseph of Arimathea and even Nicodemus are not the only disciples that are present to care for the body of Jesus. We see in verse 61 that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there as well. And we know these ladies are taking note of where Jesus is buried because we see they're the first ones to come back on Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday, to witness the resurrection of Jesus. They're the first ones to come probably because they they were going back to show additional care to the body of Jesus. They wanted to make sure that he was respected even in death. 
In verse 62, we read the following. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. It's really interesting to me to recognize that these religious leaders understood that Jesus had claimed a resurrection. It's also interesting to me that as they go to Pilate, he gives them permission to make the tomb more secure. So the resurrection of Christ would have happened not in an unguarded or unimportant place, but well guarded by soldiers who were put there to keep it. Now, the plan sort of backfires because the resurrection of Christ is not stopped by the strength of Roman soldiers. In fact, in chapter 28, we find that while the women went back to the tomb to care for Jesus and found him resurrected, they needed to, the religious leaders who were the opposition to Jesus, they were not going to be able to accept the fact that Jesus was resurrected. And so the first way that they tried to put out uh, counter information was by using these guards. I'll show you. Verse 11 of chapter 28. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priests met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So all the way up to the day that Matthew wrote his gospel, that story was in circulation. But the story really is uh, kind of difficult to imagine that these Roman soldiers who were in charge with trusting the tomb, um, they took a bribe from the elders and started a rumor that the disciples came in the night and stole Jesus' body. But would the disciples have come in the middle of the night and stolen Jesus' body from Roman soldiers, especially when they were too afraid to be seen in open daylight, except for John, uh, in, the, in the presence of the enemies of Jesus? It's kind of difficult to imagine that, but the chief priests and the elders tell the soldiers, if word of this gets back to the governor, and it may not have gotten back to the governor, if word of this ever gets back to the governor, we'll, we'll defend you. And so the soldiers take the bribe and spread the lie, and the rest has become history. Jeremy Stroh and I recorded a couple of podcasts, episode 305 and 306, about the resurrection of Jesus. And I just want to encourage you right now to go back and take a listen to those podcasts. Here's why. Because this explanation that had to be offered in the first century that the disciples came and stole the body, it hasn't gone away. In fact, it's one of a couple explanations that opponents to Christianity offer to try to explain how on earth Jesus' body disappeared and how Christianity emerged in first century monotheistic Judaism and became a religion that spread around the globe to give hope and life to so many people. Well, as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection, 
I want us to wrap up these episodes of podcasts about the crucifixion just with reverence for the body of Jesus. To imagine as Joseph and as these ladies intended to show loving care to Christ, even to his broken body, I want you and I to show him the same level of respect. I see in my mind Jesus in John 13 washing the feet of the people that he loved. And then I know that on the cross, he ultimately washed our soul. He made us clean. He was willing to humble himself to care for us. And I just want us to repay that kindness with a level of reverence and love. I want us to show him adoration. Now, we're not in the place that these women or that Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus were in. We can't go to a tomb to show affection and care to his corpse, but we don't have to. He's resurrected and alive. And we can show him respect now, today, We can show him great devotion without having to try to find a tomb or roll back a stone. We can show Christ our appreciation for the crucifixion simply by our personal worship, our service, our love, our daily care. But what I want to make sure that we don't do is I want to make sure that we don't forget about the sacrifice of Jesus and what it meant to us. I don't want us to miss this beautiful demonstration of his love towards us. And I want us to be willing to stand among those who were counted at showing respect for Jesus and showing appreciation and gratitude for his sacrifice. So you have been given a remarkable gift that was earned on the cross of Christ. And I want to challenge each one of us to respond appropriately with great gratitude. Church family, I hope you can make it to the Good Friday service tomorrow night at 6 p.m. in the sanctuary as we take a look at the cross and show reverence to Jesus and appreciate the gravity of what Jesus did for us while we prepare to celebrate the empty tune on Easter morning. God bless you. I love you, church family.